0: This passage from St. Luke's Gospel corresponds to the passage in St. Matthew's Gospel that we all know as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But in St. Luke's Gospel, it's actually the Sermon on the Plain. But either way, this passage is Jesus' teaching on the heart of the Christian moral life, on what it really means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And this passage in particular kind of gives us the real difference, the radical difference, we might say, of what it means to be Christian, what, what makes people say, that person must be different, that person must be a Christian, and really, which is in some way, a proof of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And that is not simply the axiom, love your neighbor as yourself, but the axiom, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Jesus says, do not judge others, but instead let yourself be mistreated. Now, when people see us really live that way, it's enough to make them say, wow, that must be a Christian. Maybe there really is something to this whole Jesus is God thing, right? Because this is so Unbelievable. Now, we all struggle to live this the way that we should, and there's lots of reasons for that. But one of the big ones, I think, is that there's often a misunderstanding of what Jesus is teaching us in this passage. Because after all, if I'm supposed to love my enemies and let people hit me in the face and take all my stuff, doesn't that mean that to be a Christian is to be weak, ineffective? To, to not really care about anything. But that is not what Jesus means. You know, it, it, but it's easy to see how people come to that conclusion. If if I am supposed to love the Taliban or, you know, or the, the guy at work who lied to me about the boss, then I guess what? I just have to pretend like that person's not as bad as they are, you know, just kind of ignore the terrible things they do. Or if somebody uh, takes my stuff and I'm just supposed to let them have it, then I guess I shouldn't think of my stuff as worth anything, having any real value. Or if they can come up and, and hit me in the face and I don't do anything to protect myself, well then maybe I don't have any real value either. You know, take the stuff, it's not worth anything. You know, I'm not worth anything, just do whatever you want to me. That again is not what Jesus is teaching us in this gospel. And what we have in our first reading today is really a key A key to understand how we are to live this teaching of Jesus, and that key is King David. King David is such a great example of the Christian life, which, of course, he lived centuries before there even was Christianity, before Jesus came. But he was nonetheless a man of faith, a man filled and led by the Holy Spirit, and in that sense, already a follower of Christ. So what do we see in this story of King David? Uh, Kind of two two parts to his life here. First of all, we see that David did not think, he was not indifferent towards his own life. He lived his life with both hands. He really invested himself in his life. As you may know, at this point in David's life, he is the band, sorry, the leader of a band of essentially rebels. People who had gotten on the wrong side of the law under King Saul. And so they flee out into the wild and they join up with David. So he was kind of like the, the Robin Hood figure, you know. And he was in charge. So when King Saul comes out with his thousands of troops to hunt them down, he could have easily said to two of, his, uh, two of the guys in his group, you know, Harry and Larry go out there and reconnoiter, see what the enemy is doing. But he doesn't do that he goes out himself. He, he values and finds purpose and meaning in his own life. And he sets himself some really high goals. He's not afraid to shoot for really the highest possible achievements. So when, once they're out there scoping out the enemy camp, that's not enough. He doesn't say, okay, now we see the layout. He says, You see these guys here? These are the king's bodyguard. They're like the best soldiers in the whole army. Let's sneak past them, you know, and find the king, right? And so he really lives his life like it's his, like it has value, it has purpose. And what does God do in response to that? He blesses him. It says, the Lord put them all into a deep sleep. He let David do whatever he wanted. He, he helped him succeed in his goal. So that's the first part. But now the second part is the, the important move that David makes. Because there he is. They've snuck up to King Saul, and there he's asleep. And then uh, totally in David's power. And this couldn't be the moment that saved all of David's, uh, you know, saved David from all of his problems. He could kill King Saul, and then he wouldn't be after him anymore. And probably... David himself would now be the king. And David doesn't even have to kill him himself. He's got his uh, partner there, Abishai. Abishai says, I'll kill him for you. You don't even have to do it yourself. So this could be it. But instead, instead in this climactic moment, instead of thinking about himself and what would be best for him and what would allow him to achieve all of his goals, instead David thinks about what? will bring the greatest glory to God. You see, that—that that is the definitive Christian move. And obviously also the definitive uh, Jewish move. But for us as Christians, because we know Jesus Christ, because he has come and died for our sins, when we think about what brings glory to God, we're able to understand that in a somewhat different way. And so that's what David's real question here is. How can I glorify God? Do what is best for God. And he doesn't kill Saul because he is the Lord's anointed. He does take his spear and his water jug. Why? Just to show everybody how glorious God is. What God allowed him to accomplish. And see that, my brothers and sisters, is the way that we are called to live the life of the Christian as well. If we've got enemies, we should fight against them with all of our strength. If there are people out there who hate us and want to curse us, we should do our very best to defend ourselves against them. If people are out there in society going around slapping people in the face and stealing their stuff, we should work together to bring an end to violence and crime and drug abuse and poverty and all the things that put people in situations where they act that way. So we should see our lives, in that sense, as truly valuable, bought by the very blood of Jesus Christ. But, but, when despite all of our best efforts and the use of all of our knowledge, we still become to that moment where someone harms us personally. That is the moment where we are called to make that Christian move. Not to simply ask, what do I want done? What is best for me? Or even what is really the just thing to happen here? But instead to ask, how can I, in this moment, bring glory to God? Bring glory to Jesus Christ by uniting my sufferings to his on the cross. And see, that is not a move of weakness and ineffectualness and indifference, it is a move of power and strength and intentional investment in our lives. It is a paradox. It is a mystery that we should do that. But it's the kind of mystery that makes the world sit up and take notice and say, wow, maybe there really is something to all this Jesus stuff. And it's also the way, my brothers and sisters, that we as Christians, that we have the right kind of detachment from the world because we know That in those moments, we are not investing our treasure in this life, but in the life to come.